welcome to Talking Healthcare, produced by the International Hospital Federation. The Talking Healthcare podcast series will feature a young executive healthcare leaders from the IHF's global community, sharing their expertise, knowledge, and insights into cutting-edge topics in healthcare. Have you ever imagined what it's like to leave your home country and be a refugee in a foreign country? Have you ever imagined how your family would feel then? In this episode, we are going to discuss how international health organizations can facilitate the access of refugees to healthcare services. Hello, everybody. I'm Dina Mograwi, Technical Office Manager of Saudi-German Health Egypt and North North Africa. Let me welcome Julia Patrigulu, International Relations Project Manager at Unicancer France. Vanessa Ripairo, Head of Planning and Innovation and Administration of Health System in Portugal. Mohamed Amin, the inpatient manager of Saudi German Hospital Cairo, and Kiet Velerta, manager, project management and program development at, at Children's Health System of Texas. Many displaced people move from their home country to another, often in a difficult or a dangerous way. While fleeing, many refugees have nothing. They don't have access to food or clean water, and many carry no possessions other than the clothes on their bags. They are the refugees' crisis. Refugees' crisis might result from conflict and war, hunger, poverty, persecution, violence, or even climate change. At least 89.3 million people around the world have been forced to flee their homes. As of 2021, there are 25.9 million registered refugees across the world, and 50% of them are children. At a time when one in every 88 people on the earth has been, forced, has been forced to flee, we all believe that providing support when this crisis happens and afterwards facilitating refugees' access to healthcare services is more important than ever. As the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi, said, refugees face two journeys, one leading to hope and the other to despair. It's up to us to help them along the right path. I will ask Mohammed, what are the short to medium term plans done by the international health organizations to overcome the barriers that face refugees in healthcare access and experience in host countries? International hospital organizations develop targeted programs to provide basic health care, immunizations, and checkups. They also train community health workers to treat refugees, distribute essential medicines and equipment during emergencies, and improve access to basic services to families who have been forced to flee their homes. Other projects focus on mental health services in the form of psychological first aid for adults and children trauma support and counseling to refugees in their own languages. During the pandemics, international hospital organizations provided support and guidance on COVID-19 and other communicable diseases. Your answer leads me to ask you, how do governments and international health organizations collaborate in helping refugees to achieve a better healthcare services? And what are their short to medium term plans and how do they impact refugees? Governments such as in the United States of America and Egypt, as well as international organizations such as the European Commission and the United Nations, constantly collaborate with international health organizations in many parts of the world. 
For example, on the occasions of the Ukraine crisis, the European Commission collaborated with different actors to ensure the available capacity for hospitals and intensive care unit beds, and checked the modalities of transporting emergency patients to the respective European Commission member states. It also provides risk assessments and support European Commission member states, neighboring Ukraine and Moldova in managing displaced persons. Another example is, is the International Rescue Committee, who partnered with local Sephora groups to ensure the uninterrupted flow of medicines, supplies, and equipments on the occasion of the Syrian crisis. Their projects also tackled COVID-19 by promoting awareness campaigns and training health workers in infection prevention and control. Ensure operating clinics and mobile teams and integrate mental health services into primary care networks. In order to make all these interventions a reality, international health organizations need important financial resources. So, Julia, how can donations support this cause? Donations are essential to cover the financial resources required by IHO to protect and improve the lives of refugees. Ideally, every country in the world should have universal health coverage. However, currently, hundreds of millions of people continue to pay large portions of their household budgets out of pocket for health care. These costs can force households into poverty and keep them from seeking care altogether. Organizations such as the Red Cross Red Crescent rely on donations that allow them to directly intervene via frontline service providers in refugee camps and neighboring countries, for instance, by training community health workers. Collective funds can also help recover and rebuild destroyed healthcare infrastructures, train doctors and nurses, provide psychological support, or help refugees afford specialized treatments outside their country of origin. Other international organizations tend to indirectly intervene by funding relevant organizations that may have a better knowledge or already a presence in the territories where the help is needed. Funds may be therefore channeled through calls for proposals and be managed on a project-based manner by different entities. As a result of multiple recent crises, economic, environmental, or even the pandemic, the already heavy debt load in some countries is getting worse. Higher debt servicing costs may reduce public spending on social sectors, including health, despite a growing need for essential health services. This is why multilateral decision to cancel the public debt of the poorest country could be considered as another form of indirect financial support. Thank you, Julia. Could you tell our audience how these donations are collected by international health organizations? Sure, Mohammed. These organizations communicate about their fundraising needs in different ways, public appeals, theme-based campaigns, strategic partnerships, solidarity fundraising projects, communicating to the lay public about the tax advantages they might benefit if they decide to donate, collaborating also with other organizations with complementary exper expertises, etc. Donations can be of different types and sources, individual, from the private sector, member states paying their contributions, philanthropic foundations, and other sources. The NGO Médecins Sans Frontières, for instance, is 99% funded via private donations, a fact that in the, in the vision of the NGO guarantees its financial and operational independence. I talked about the short, medium-term actions done by the international health organizations to support the access to healthcare services earlier. 
However, the needs of refugees are not satisfied only with short, medium-term actions since refugees could still be refugees for years or even decades. So, Vanessa, what can you tell us about refugees' access to healthcare in the long term? Well, refugees have different health needs than the host country and frequently have barriers for access to healthcare, not just in the short term, but also in the long term. Migrants, particularly in an irregular situation, are often excluded from national programs for health promotion, disease prevention, treatment and care, as well as from financial protection in health. They can also face high user fees, low levels of health literacy, poor cultural competency among health providers, stigma and inadequate interpreting services. According to a survey based on interviews with more than 30,000 patients and the social and medical data in 12 countries, many refugees still face significant barriers to accessing healthcare more than a year after leaving in their host country. These barriers were reported even by those with permission to reside in the country that were about 50% at the moment they were interviewed. These are the reasons why international health organizations like World Health Organization, for example, is advocating for universal health coverage that everyone, including refugees and migrants, should be able to enjoy the right to health and access to people-centered high quality health services without financial impediment. Thank you, Vanessa. You also mentioned that international healthcare organizations are advocating for universal health coverage in order to improve refugees' access to healthcare in the long term. Could you elaborate on that? Of course, Kim. WHO and UNHCR are examples of IHOs that works around the world to secure the health rights of refugees and migrants and achieve universal health coverage. Working in collaboration with regional and country offices, they provide global leadership, advocacy, coordination, and policy on health and migration. UNHCR, for example, focuses on the improvement of primary health care for refugees by advocating for refugee inclusion, inclusion into national health systems, strengthening health infrastructure, funding, and training health workers. WHO, in turn, is advocating that health systems should incorporate the needs of refugees and migrants in national and local health policies, financing, planning, implementation, monitoring, and evaluation. For example, in Syria, we found that WHO works on the development of a long-term plan to rehabilitate and reform the health system. It is also working on the strengthening of the national program for the prevention and control of diseases, malnourishment and epidemics, especially among displaced communities where access to safe water, sanitation and hygiene services are consistently worse than in resident and host communities. Thanks, Vanessa. I assume that the intervention of international health organizations don't stop with advocating for universal health coverage. Uh, they uh, also go beyond to ensure access to healthcare to all, include, including refugees. What else do they do on the long term? Yes, Julia, you are right. IHOs act in many ways to ensure long-term access to refugees to healthcare services. 
For example, WHO, through the Health and Migration Program, sets global norms and standards on health and migration to support member states. They co-develop guidance and tools and promote a research agenda for evidence-informed decision-making and targeted interventions. This way, they facilitate and strengthen national health policy developments and implementation towards refugees and migrant-sensitive health policies, legal and social protection. For those who want to know more, the norms and standards are available on the WHO website. It also supports the strengthening of member state information systems, providing specialized technical assistance, response, and capacity building. Health information and research findings can provide a platform for understanding and responding to the health needs of refugees and migrants, and for aligning the efforts of other sectors and sources of international assistance. Training community health workers is another way IHOs help in the long term. The community health workers are fluent in refugee languages and cultures, which allows to overcome the communication barrier that refugees usually face. They meet refugees to screen, diagnose, treat, and make referrals for common illnesses and follow up with pregnant women, newborns, and people living with chronic diseases using the clinical protocols. They also teach refugees about health, hygiene, and preventative health measures, such as immunization from the same perspective and more easily understandable. I could continue, continue with other examples of actions, but I think this allows to have an idea about what IHOs are doing. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank you everyone for your thoughts. I am not a refugee and I personally cannot speak to their experiences and their wishes for the future. However, I believe that every person deserves to live a life with dignity, freedom, and security. It's hard to imagine not having the basic needs we sometimes take for granted. So for example, like food, shelter, clean water, clothing, um, newly arrived refugees have suffered years and years of hardship and trauma, and these problems don't suddenly disappear when they arrive in their new homes. And so I hope today you were able to gain an insight on how international organizations around the world are helping refugees and their healthcare, both in the short term and the long term. Indeed, Kim. Building on your thoughts, what can we as leaders do to learn more? Thanks, Vanessa. So uh, as leaders, there's a few things that uh, we could do in order to learn more about refugees. Um, most importantly, we have to do our own research. We have to be up to date with current events. Um, and like Julia said, we could donate to and volunteer with organizations to support refugees and their well-being. Um, there are numerous opportunities to get involved. So for example, here in Dallas, Texas, where I am located, there are numerous organizations that have been helping Afghan refugees with English lessons, um, helping them with their trips to the grocery store, et cetera. And many local and international resettlement agencies also accept monetary and non-monetary donations, such as hygienic items, food, clothing for newborns, and furniture for their new homes. You can also urge your elected officials to support refugee resettlement and teach others about refugees 
to support the development and dissemination of knowledge and information concerning health and migration issues, the WHO Health and Migration Program also organizes an annual Global Summer School on Refugees and Migrant Health. The Global School promotes evidence-informed and best practices interventions important to adapting healthcare systems to the health needs and rights of refugees and migrants worldwide. So that's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to learn more about the refugees. And I want to ask our panelists as well, um, how do each of you personally feel about the refugee crisis, whether in your own countries or in others? And what are your hopes for the future? Well, Kin, I can tell you that in the last few months, I have been involved with the transfer of Ukrainian refugees to other countries. And it causes me an urge to do my best to help, especially when in the list of patients to transfer, I find children with cancer in a fragile health situation that were transferred from Ukraine to the bordering countries and need another transfer to other country, most of the times not understanding and not being understood. I hope that all efforts that international organizations are doing are fruitful to encourage leaders for action, because who knows if and when each of us will become a refugee without notice. Oh, thank you, Kim. Uh, this is an emotional question. Let me talk about my hopes for the future. Indeed, it's essential that the international community work together to share the responsibility for protecting refugees and also increase the support and funding and protect asylum seekers whose countries must abide by the spirit of the principle and protect them who are indeed in need of protection. All the measures we talked about during the podcast aim to treat the symptoms of displacement. But if we really want to solve the refugees crisis, we must tackle the root causes. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank you, Dina, for your thoughts. Thank you, Kim. By the end of this incredible podcast, we need to highlight that we are beside refugees everywhere by services provided by the international health organizations to all refugees in the world, not a specific area, like humanitarian needs, basic health care, immunization, and so on. All of that requires our commitment and responsibility to support the refugees' crisis around the globe. Thank you, Muhammad, Julia, Vanessa, and Kian. Thank you all for your listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and head on to Anchor, Apple, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Make sure you will never miss an episode from us. For more information on the International Hospital Federation, you may visit www.ihf-fih.org. Goodbye.